if we don't like something in our own lives, we, we won't like it in sport, we won't like cheating, we won't like someone taking a, a, a shortcut, we admire endeavour. And, and so it wouldn't necessarily be more medals in the future that I think might further give bolster the, the meaning of sport. I think it will probably be pride that this, we've done this well. Well, hello to you all and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast with me, Steve Ingham. Now, the Supporting Champions podcast is all about exploring the dynamics of high performance with people who have been there and done it, people who've supported others to succeed or have explored performance concepts in real depth. So this is the third part of the panel discussion with the incredible minds of Jamie Pringle and Rosie Mays. The first episode of this series, we talked about how the UK high performance system just simply got off the ground from a background of losing at the 1996 Olympics. The second episode started to explore how that system gathered focus on not just on what we do, but how we do it in the lead up to the home Olympics in 2012. In this episode, we start to to look forward and start to think about what the determining factors are of a successful system. So if we were to look around the world, what would we see as common traits of a system that is continuing to succeed? Jamie starts to open our minds a little bit with some innovative views and questions, almost playing devil's advocate. What would we... What would we do if we wanted to mess up a high-performance system? Or asking questions such as, if we had unlimited resources, what would we do with that money? We also started to think about where we might want to see future investment for competitive advantage if we wanted to really improve a system from a bedrock of already succeeding. And then we start to look forward to think about what we want to see long-term in a hundred years' time, if we were to look back, what would we still want to see residing in the, in the system that is successful? So it's a really fascinating discussion once again. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you, and so we're going to dive straight in. Hi everyone, welcome to Supporting Champions. I'm joined today by Jamie Pringle, academic, applied physiologist and innovator from Performance Science Distillery, and Rosie Mays, former international netball player, coach, scientist, and now director of the EB Center. So we've covered professionalization of the system. We've talked about focusing of investment and support services. We've talked about relationships and investing and making sure that those are strong throughout the network within teams, the skills required, not just the what, but the how. And we've talked about purpose that have created the the system and helped sustain it. But have have we missed anything that we think that might be differentiating factors, real determining factors of the success of the British system? I think what creates a system and what sustains it. You know, you, you just mm. kind of talked about the different component parts there, and that idea of all those things that you know when you're adding, 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 and now you're managing, and now you're refining, and now you're filtering. So I think that for me would be in there. You know, the that slight step change in mindset of um, more is not necessarily mm. better. 
Mm. Yeah. Uh, efficiency and effectiveness. So yes. it's being more discriminating about what you want and why you want it, I think is... is efficiency I, is a good yeah, word. Yeah. Effectiveness is a very good word. But yeah. yeah. Uh, the, other, the other thing that strikes me is um, the, the success of the British system being because part of it's because we are British and the way we do things. Hmm. You know, not to forget that this system wouldn't necessarily work elsewhere. The reason it does work is that I think we've learned our lessons of not trying to take systems from other countries and just drop them into Britain, mm -hmm. but actually to work out what is it like being Great Britain and Northern Ireland with Wales, Scotland, England and Northern Ireland in there. Yeah. You know, that, that is unique to Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Mm. And that's had to be factored in that when we're not necessarily like Australia, who are states, mm. we have deep rivalries between England and everyone else. You know, the Scots always wanting to support anyone who's playing England, you mm. know, and the same with the Welsh. <laughs> so I think being able to skillfully integrate that into mm. being successful at the Olympic stage where you, you have got different cultures within mm. the Great Britain and Northern Ireland that come together and perform as one. Yeah. So with that in mind then, uh, if other countries are looking in, and yes, there's, there's been big investment from, from the government lottery to develop the system, but, but still it starts to out, the British system still starts to outstrip other investments in terms of pounds per medal. Um, what are the things that you think that, that would, you could copy and paste or uh, go into other performance environments and observe that are similar to the British system um, that might be irrespective of context and culture? What are the things that you think you would find mm. that have got in common with where Britain has got to? Well, content. The human performer is a human, you know, that's irrespective of um, where they come from. To a point, obviously there are, some, um, there are some subtle differences, but the content, you know, as a physiologist, you know, your ability to use oxygen is determined by your ability to deliver it and to utilize it at the muscle. And that doesn't matter, you know, that, that kind of stuff, the day-to-day -day content of, could be the same. But then it's the, I've, we've been talking about, you have all that information, you have all that knowledge, you have that human performer, but it's the culture that they're within, it's the environment that they're in, and the subtleties of that, I think, are the, the biggest differences of whether something would work if you transplanted it elsewhere. Mm. And I'm interested, you know, you know, not just where, you know, you could give examples of countries or systems around the world where you could relocate a British system you know, and the money and the funding, and it probably would work well. But I'm probably we could probably learn more about is where it would really work badly. You know, mm. where it would go terribly wrong. Kind of the idea that if you know the best thing you could do for East African distance running is create a Kenyan Institute of Sports Science, <laughs> yeah. you know, or fund buses to schools. Yeah, exactly those kind of things. So <laughs> yes. just flip it, flip it around and and have a look at it. And how could we really mess this up? You know, what what are the things we could do? mess it up because it would give you a good insight to what actually should stick around and work. I think there are some cultural differences that you can see when you talk to other countries that perhaps they're struggling to find their way to, to broach the, the, the topic but I remember a conversation in China uh, probably four years ago 
and it was very much that we can't do individualization. That's not us. That's yeah. not the communist way. Yes. And we don't want to do yes. that. And and I asked more questions about, well, can't you just give everybody equal attention, but slightly different? No. But now they're starting to consider it, and now they're starting to to find a way that individualization can be culturally sensitive to their to their the overall bigger bigger purpose. Yeah. Can I ask you a question then? Yeah. Um, I'll ask both of you. Um, if you had an unlimited pot of cash, let's say the corporate backer came in and said, "Okay, you got three quarters of a million pounds." Uh, three quarters of a billion pounds. Thank sorry. you. That's yes. Yes. <laughs> three quarters of a million pounds. One million dollars. <laughs> Why have one million when you can We'll top up your lottery funding, which is however much it is, 300 something uh, million, and we'll make it into a billion. We'll, we'll oh. double it, triple it. What would you do? What would, what would you do differently? Great question. So, yeah. So, because of my philosophy on life and, and my background, I'd go to the human universals of how do we bring out the potential of those parts of human nature that are possibly eclipsed at the moment because of the world we're in. Mm -hmm. So deep within all of us um, is massive potential to be better able to do what we do and be more satisfied by what we do and be more fulfilled by it. But we're human beings and we have experiences throughout our life, you know, whether it's from our childhood or whether it's the culture we live in or it's whether we're first in the family or fourth in the family as a child, all of that will impact on who we are. Our sense of self-worth, our sense of self-esteem, our sense of self-confidence and the difference between confidence and esteem, all of that is down to us being human beings. So if I were to get big backing in money, that's where I would be investing in how do we bring out the potential of the human person so that they truly can perform. It's not just about their confidence to do the sport bit, it's their self-belief in who they are and their worth that mm. then contributes to that performance as well. You've got a billion dollars, Steve. Yeah, I can't improve on that. <laughs> um, I think that, that to, to build on that concept, is the what sport for is it's pointless it's, it's purposeless in some ways other than to offer us something to reflect on to our own lives and and I, and I think that it, that the needle's still starting to find its happy level um, if if we don't like something in our own lives we'll, we won't like it in sport we won't like cheating we won't like someone taking a, a, a shortcut we admire endeavor and and so it wouldn't necessarily be more medals in the future that I think might further give bolster the, the meaning of sport. I think it will probably be pride that this, we've done this well and, and that we've done this together as a, as a unit. And yeah. um, I, I get goosebumps watching a Michael Phelps or a Simone Biles. And so I, uh, there's an infectiousness across the globe beyond our tribe and so I, I think that, that investment needs to be put into actually finding what the, the zeitgeist, the culture requires for, for the sport, for sport to be relevant mm. in the future. Mm. And it wouldn't just be pouring more money in. Right. 
Um, well, you've gone for quite a philosophical. We both right. made. Yeah, we need, yeah. We need more beer for that kind of discussion. But yeah. you want some? You want I'll some more practical? I'm sitting around the table as a head of science and medicine for a major national okay. governing body, and now you yeah. come to me and said, "I'm mm. going to give you ten times the amount." What would you buy more of? What okay, so I think very specifically. Um, and, and you watch this in the commentary during the Rio games, and I was personally uncomfortable as the director of science for that system, I was personally uncomfortable that it all being attributed from more and more marginal gains. And right. the science and applying this <laughs> rigor and process, that, that's what people leapt to because it was quite easy to point to. Mm. Yes. Because I think they've got some laboratories, I think they've got some kit. Yes. Um, but for a long time, I, I've thought, really, my job is to support the coach, yeah. to support the athletes. Mm. Um, that's, that's where I think investment needs to be made in developing a future generation of coaches that are better equipped to be able to support athletes. Yeah. It's a bit like, um, investing in new backgrounds and sets, but not investing in the director and the producer of the show. Um, so, yes, the performance will, will come through, but you have to have somebody that brings that together. And I don't think that coaching has been invested in terms of basic education, but also the, the esteem and the pride and prestige that's given to that role. Mm. They are they are the linchpin yeah. to, to make that happen. Athletes will come and go, and mm. coaches yeah. will remain. Um, and I think that's something that will not only offer competitive advantage in the future, but will sustain a system longer term. Yeah. Is, that, is that a bit more tangible for you? <laughs> that is very, very much. We can, we can make right a plan. I'm really pleased you said about the, the coach, because I think that for me is, you know, we could, you know, uh, whatever. you could have a dozen experts sitting around the table who are allologists and this, that, and the other. But ultimately, they are there to serve the, the coach's need. You know, that's mm. how our system works, and so investing at that point. And I think, I don't know how you would spend more money to do less, but if you're gonna do less, it's, by, it's doing less by simplifying mm. and reducing, uh, prioritizing, mm. and actually saying, look, you know, this is the thing that really is the critical mm. thing here. We do a lot of stuff, put it in this order, that comes first. And I think we're now at the point in the maturation of the business of elite sport to be able to reflect more on what's been before, what yeah. has worked, what hasn't worked from We've gone through our place. big hair phase yeah. in the 80s, yes. uh, <laughs> yes. we <wear> socks, <laughs> we can look back and go, I know what, I know what sticks yeah. around. I know we, what we've got wisdom, good. so you know in human, in humans people like people my age have a wisdom that a 20 year old doesn't have simply by living that long yeah. and I think that's what we're getting to now with the sciences and and the professional performance sport and the systematic that we've got some wisdom yeah. that can help us can make. You, can you automate wisdom? Can you can you make wisdom? <laughs> You're looking for an upload. You know, we we will always try to. I was the, what, I don't know what the right word here is. But we'll always try to kind of figure something out, and we'll always try to put it into a system or a structure that we can then teach it, and then people can learn about it. And wisdom is kind of by definition something you can't do that with. But can we? Because is is that just where you're actually allowing the person, the the undergraduate, at that stage of their career, to be able to think more effectively? 
to be able to, to look at things in a different manner or to be able to solve a problem because they have content that they can call upon, but now they've got thinking skills as well. I think it's both and. I think, <laughs> I think you know, you continue to contribute the content knowledge and you continue to, if we continue to strive to help people cope with the uncertainty that's coming. Yeah. Th those kind of coping skills are, we're, we're moving into, well, we're in industry 4.0 at the moment in terms of the big global world. It's a, it's a different world. It's going to get faster and faster. We can't control that as human beings, in yeah. my opinion, or we can't control our ability to control it. We have to learn new ways of being in that volatile world. Yes. In that uncertain world. And that's part of, I think, what we can do to help the, the next generation is to mm. realise that that's a, a, we're entering a different way of working and a different world and a different technological world. So Un I, Uncertainty is a really yeah, interesting yeah. word, isn't it? Well, they, they talk about VUCA, don't they? Volatile, uncertain... Complex. <laughs> Ambiguous. Yeah, thank you. You know, and that that goes across industry, goes across every everything at the moment. I think it is a human universal yeah. probably at the moment. So, can we speed up wisdom? I think we can help people in their way of understanding self and understanding how to learn better and understanding how to manage emotions better. You know, I think probably that's where we can learn something from elite athletes about how do they cope with mm. uncertainty. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's, the, their skills are much better probably than our, you know, our non... But feeling exposed on the start line, handling pressure, expectation. Yeah, yeah. What will happen if it doesn't work? Well, how do I manage that thinking? So, can I throw the billion dollar question back to you? Yeah. Um, what, um, what do you think you would invest in? further if you had unlimited resources. Yeah. Um, it goes back to what Rosie said, I think you would invest in people and ways of better handling uncertainty. Because everything we put our money into now is building a structure and a system that has, is defined and mm -hmm. is certain. And what we're dealing with is a world or an environment that you're stepping into that has a lot of uncertainty. So I think we do invest in people who are better at doing, uh, working in that um, way and in that environment. Mm. Do you know, I was thinking, as you were both talking there, I was thinking the, the, the alternative to my question is if I didn't have any money. Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering yeah. exactly the same yeah. thing. And I think would your answer be exactly? We're agreed. We're agreed. Okay, that's nice. So if we had a, a time machine looking forward... <laughs> Um, well, I don't know whether we've got one, but um, the, the baby has started walking, um, they, they found what they want to do, they've now grown up and got some wisdom, and they've invented a time machine. So if we went forward a hundred years, what would we wish to see from high-performance sport? As in what we'd wish to see that stuck around from our time now? Yeah, what would you still wish oh, to see? Right. okay, yeah. What's persevered? What's, oh, what's lasted? What's the legacy that we... No, I'm not talking on? about you've got a special suit that you want <laughs> to introduce to the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, the human isn't going to change in a hundred years in a meaningful manner in terms of, you know, uh, sort of that genetic development. And, you know, that kind of classic kind of statement, I don't know who made that statement, you know, 100 years ago, and somebody would have made it 200 years ago that I think we know everything we need to know. Mm -hmm. um, 
We very clearly don't. And I'd be, you know, that's, that's the joy. That's almost, yeah, that is the joy of why, as a human physiologist, you start learning, that you learn things forever. You know, you're always going to be learning. And those breakthroughs, those better understandings of stuff that you previously thought you knew a lot about and you realise you didn't, those are the kind of things. So it's not answering your question, but I'm, I know in a hundred years' time, we'll look back and go, ha! What, so little that they knew. Yes. Uh, look what we know now. And I, I just, you know, that would be the bit that, for me, I, if I could step, take a step back from it, I'll, I would look at those moments and go, oh, I get a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, at that. yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, in the ideal world, I'd like to think in a hundred years' time, the people who have been supported and in the system and have used sport as their expression of who they are have a better life because of it, that it's a more meaningful, that they haven't had a detrimental experience from it, that they've not been wasted by the system. So I think the whole the performance lifestyle piece of making sure over the next hundred years we truly look after the human element of all of this and it doesn't mm. become so digitized and technolo technologized, mm. which is a new word for today, um, that we don't forget the human being in all of that. Yeah. And mm. I think if we got to quite a pure, you know, idealistic, if we got to quite to a purist space where every one of us goes, I feel really proud that through my contribution, life is more exciting and enjoyable for other people. Then, yeah. then I think we'll have done a really good job. I think there is something about that where the sophistication of sport is getting to a level that it's either potentially becoming a bit predictable, mm. um, it's possibly feeling a bit inert. Um, Smith recently said that high performance sport is starting to lose its soul. Yeah. And, and I don't, if that more is better concept is, is quite draining. Um, more and more and more from less that actually what do we remember about the games we, rem we remember Usain Bolt thumping his chest yeah. as he crosses the line and those spontaneous moments yes. that occur mm. from sport rather than necessarily well here they go again they're doing their thing yes. and they've won again um, yeah. to be able to, to look at sport for its purity understanding that it will evolve and change and, and that we'll have to come mm. go with it mm. uh, for me was is probably where it, I would hope anyway you really are quite philosophical you two aren't mm. you find mm. some shiny shoes well I've just been taken back to the opening ceremony of the 2012 and just remembering Mr Bean you know hitting yeah. his, his piano cool. and just thinking that was quintessentially British wasn't it the rest, just, rest of the world are probably looking at that and going yeah but minus 56 people just go, what on earth is that? Yeah. <laughs> but let's not ever forget that we are British uh, or, you know, Great Britain and Northern Ireland and not lose our personality in producing the elite I sports wins. You know, one of the things I, would, I often do when I'm either doing a teaching session is kind of do that historical perspective. So what was sport like 200 yeah. years ago? So the question about you were saying about going fast forward 100 years, if we went back 100 years to 1917 and the contemporaries of the time and we said, look, you know, 100 years time, we'll have done this, this and this, what would astound them? What would actually, they would go, wow. I mean, it might, you know, we could think about some of the, some of the areas around the science, the content, mm. but actually how what sport is as, a, as yeah. a, you know, the fact it's a competitive, it's a professional thing. You go back to your kind of 
your um, your celebrated pedestrian, what was his name, Captain Barclay, mm. which is always the example I always give when I'm, I'm doing teaching sessions. That's 200, 250 years ago, where sport wasn't a thing, you know. Mm. But this is a guy who would walk for money and do long distance walks when people would bet on him for money. And he was training professionally. You know, he had advisors, he had a coach, he had mm. a scientist to sort of who was telling him to, uh, to do a certain type of training and a certain type of nutrition. And it's only with that kind of, I don't know, hindsight, the perspective, the magnifying glass of, of time that you, you look back and go, that's nuts. But it's quite fun, but it's also nuts. I wonder what people a hundred years ago would look at now and go, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I think that is, uh, it is easy to think that it's running out of yeah. in, uh, the capacity for, for improvement because you're in it. Yeah. Um, no. No. <laughs> no. No. Because of human nature. Because yeah. we're dealing with humans. Yeah. 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 And and uh, statistically, you have you'll have to change the rules because sport is probably governed by uh, broadcasting companies investing. And if sport isn't catching the imagination, then the rules have to shift, yeah. and mm. yeah. you have to change the the rules so yes. that it's more engaging yeah. or that there's is more uh, yeah. spontaneous. Like T20 cricket or, mm. or the, the smaller, exciting A very specific example of that kind of that sort of perspective of time is, you know, the, a lot of the, certainly in the physiology or the performance realm, people would do that kind of trajectory of the years and the performance and yeah. how the speed has yeah. gone up. Mm. And they might say, well, look, there's a curve that does this and it's going to flatten out in 2050 and we're not going to get any faster. Or they do it the other way around and say, look, we're getting faster and faster and faster, so they're going to be able to run 100 metres in seven seconds in the year 2078. Yeah, or they're going to move at the speed of light. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it clearly doesn't work like that. You know, there's, there are step changes in things where actually something culturally has happened. The marathon, the women's marathon, you know, there's yeah, chunks yeah, taken off yeah, the time because yeah. of it. And that's not because of physical performance, that's because of cultural changes. Yeah. Well, just to recap our discussion there, we've heard about being clear on what determines successful performance being efficient and effective in our work. We've heard about the importance of developing systems and culture that are relevant to that country's culture. We've heard about the importance of still needing to work with humans, still needing to apply knowledge, invest in people, and ensure that sport represents society investing in its coaches. And we've heard about how when we're looking forward to the future that we're going to need to be better equipped to handle uncertainty. Well, that's all we've got time for from this episode. Join us next time when I'll be talking to the legend of performance that is Vern Gambetta. You can follow us on Twitter at Jamie Pringle, at RosieMays49, at Ingham underscore Steve, at support underscore champs. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, and at supportingchampions.co.uk to get these insights straight to your inbox. And we'll see you next time.